I'd like to add my welcome to Lynn's and to uh, all you've heard from this morning, to this house of prayer for all nations, a safe place for strangers become friends and friends become family. So we're just so grateful that you're here with us this morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This morning we have a special guest with us, Pastor Brad Kindle from the gallery, and I'm going to invite him up in just a few moments here um, to bring us the word today. Um, Pastor Brad is a very a good friend of mine, uh, more than just a co-laborer. He really is a friend, someone who have had the opportunity to pour out our hearts to each other with uh, over the last uh, several years. Um, four years ago, Pastor yeah. Brad? Pastor Brad began um, a work right here in our city, not far from here, actually, just about a mile away. Uh, they meet at the Stepping Stone Theater. Uh, it's the Gallery Covenant Church, and uh, they're a wonderful congregation uh, that God has, is, is doing wonderful things in, and they're a, they're a blessing to our city. They're a blessing to us. Um, I've had the privilege. Uh, they've allowed me the the honor of coming and speaking there and uh, meeting with their leadership team and uh, just praying together with them. And it's a, it's a wonderful partnership and friendship that God has developed between us. And um, and I have invited him here this morning because um, there's a message. You know, um, I think for all of us, um, in some ways, each of us have a particular life message. And um, I think the word you're going to hear this morning from Pastor Brad is more than just, I know it's much more than just words. It's, a, it's a really a life message that God has put within his heart and life to bring to us. And um, so um, I'm excited to have him bring the word to us. And just to kind of give us some context um, and to kind of lead into uh, the word he's bringing this morning, um, today we are continuing a study that we began uh, here in September, the beginning of September, on out-of-the-box increasing kingdom influence. For those of you that have been a part of our congregation a while, you know that this summer we did a series on kingdom culture. And we sort of took time to unpack over the summer some of the various dimensions of kingdom culture. And if you want to get copies of CDs or PowerPoints of that, you can get that off of the back table or you can go to the website, uh, BethelTwinCities.org, and just click on Media and you can download a series of messages that were on kingdom culture. And as Pastor Sam and I were, were dialoguing and praying about where we felt like God was leading us here this fall, um, it really felt like a, a direct connection for us to take that series that we did on kingdom culture and bring it out of the box. Let me explain. We believe here at Bethel Christian Fellowship, we have, we have people from over 25 different nations who worship here with us. We're a family of churches with eight congregations. Uh, six of those are, are ethnic congregations. Um, so we've got a lot of different earthly cultures who are a part of this particular house. But we believe that there is a kingdom culture which transcends, say transcends with me, transcends, transcends all earthly cultures and transforms, say transforms, transforms, transforms our earthly cultural worldview, values, and practices. Those are two key words. There's a kingdom culture that transcends, that's beyond a particular geographic boundary, it's beyond an earthly culture, it's beyond time. It uh, encompasses all people at all times. There is a transcendent kingdom culture, and that kingdom culture actually impacts and begins to transform our earthly culture, which is made up of, at the center, our worldview, outside of that, our values, and beyond that, our practices. And we unpacked that a lot this summer. Again, I encourage you to go back and get the tapes on that. Paul spoke of this in Romans 12, too, when he said, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. That would be the earthly cultural patterns of this world. Don't be conformed to them, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, so we're here at Bethel Christian Fellowship. I just want you to know, and, and in these series of messages that we're doing, we're not simply wanting to give you some more good information. 
We really are about, because we believe that that's what Jesus is about, is about transforming us. We who with unveiled faces are being transformed. There is a transformation process going on in our lives so that we'll be able to test and approve what his will is good, pleasing, and perfect will is. Now, as we go out of the box, we believe that there's an increasing kingdom influence that happens as our worldview, values, and practices get shaped, transformed by this kingdom culture. We become catalysts of transformation in the earthly cultural systems around us. As I've said multiple times now, we are thermostats, not thermometers. We're not simply reflecting the ambient temperature around us. We're changing the spiritual atmosphere mm-hmm. in key earthly cultural systems. Education, religion, arts and entertainment, family and kinship, marketplace, media, and government. So what we're doing over these weeks is we're walking through step by step each of these key systems. We began with um, Pastor Steve and Jan Rasmussen speaking about education. I spoke about how our interaction with other world religions and and other non-religions, how how that works. I spoke about that last week. Pastor Brad's going to be speaking about arts and entertainment. I'll be speaking again next week on family and kinship. And then on it goes through the remainder of these. We believe that the Spirit is leading us as a people here at Bethel Christian Fellowship out of the box and into increasing kingdom influence in these various earthly systems. So we're going more than simply... We believe that what happens here on Sunday morning is fantastic, it's wonderful, it's equipping for us, it's empowering to us, and it's equipping and empowering us to go outside of these four walls to impact the earthly systems around us. And one of those key earthly systems is the area of arts and entertainment. And this is why I've invited Pastor Brad to be with us here this morning, because he is an artist in his soul, and also he has been by profession as an actor, as a pastor. He pastors a congregation, the gallery, whose very nature is very much an artistic um, uh, congregation. And uh, so I would like to invite you to join me in welcoming my very, very dear friend to our pulpit this morning here. Could we welcome Pastor Brad Kim? Hey, Doug, how are you all doing? Good. I, uh, you know what? Is it okay if I come down here? All right. Um, first of all, you all need to know, I don't know most of you. My name is Brad, as you've heard, and it would be very helpful if I could learn your names. So if you would, please, on the count of three, just tell me your name so we can get that out of the way. All right. One, two, three. So good to meet you. Uh, you all need to be praying for me throughout this venture here because... Uh, I got up this morning. I, I like to get up early before I, I preach on a Sunday morning. And I got up early and uh, I just going over my notes again. Typically, I get up at 5 o'clock and just start going over things, have a cup of coffee. And um, I thought it was 5. Uh, I, I realized after an hour of looking at notes and so forth that after an hour it was 5, which means I got up at 4. Uh, my alarm clock was wrong. So if I fall asleep at some point, you just say, wake up in the name of Jesus and uh, I'll get going here. Um, I am very excited and very honored, actually, to be here. I won't go into this a lot, but I feel like I really know this congregation, even though I haven't met most of you. You probably don't know this, but I'm around your building all the time. <laughs> uh, our congregation, the gallery, has, uh, has been uh, very blessed by Bethel Christian Fellowship, uh, just being so very generous. I come to Jim all the time. I'm like, hey, Jim, uh, remember the idea that we don't have a a building <laughs> as a church plant, and, and we don't have an office. Could I hang out and pray in your office or uh, have a meeting in one of your uh, places? And you need to know, I've been in the ministry for 20 years now, and this congregation is the most generous congregation I've ever seen in my life. So pat yourselves on the back. Praise God. huh? That's good stuff. A little bit about what we're go- where we're going to head here. Um, sometimes a message is, is like uh, you get steak. 
and, and it's just steak. So it's really good, but it's just steak. Other times you get steak and you get some nice sides. I feel like we're going to get, like, I'm going to present to you uh, three to five different little dishes. They're going to be power-packed with a lot of spice, and we get to take some of little, a little bite of each little piece, each little plate. What's that? A sampler platter, yeah. And uh, hopefully it will challenge you as you move out of here and it won't give you heartburn. Um, as Jim mentioned, my background is in the arts, and I do think of myself as an artist. I, I, I feel like I am wired as an artist. I, I was a theater major in um, college, and then I had did the L.A. thing and had an agent and did very obscure, strange stuff in television. And uh, I got sick of that and went on to go study at a conservatory, and I got what is called a Master of Fine Arts in Acting. And I married a, uh, an actress, and uh, my daughter actually is studying to be a painter. She's a senior in college at an art school. And when people see my daughter and they say, what are you going to uh, do after you're out of college? You're going to teach, right? And she might. There's nothing wrong with teachers. My parents are teachers. I've taught. I'm teaching right now. They ask that because they're worried. <laughs> you're a painter? How in the, so how many hours can you actually work at Starbucks and still survive? You know? They're worried. You're going to be a starving artist, aren't you? And, and the reality is her path might not lead to very much prosperity at all. So why in the world would I, a good parent, take my beautiful, loving daughter and say, I want you to move forward and I want you to take these gifts and develop them? The reason is when I was in high school, my dad gave me a great gift. We were riding in the car, I think I was a junior or so, beginning that exploration of college and so forth. And I said, Dad, what do you think I should do with my life? And uh, he knew my background. I was a basketball player in high school, and, and he knew I was not a great basketball player, so I wasn't going to make a lot of money during that. And uh, I was in student government and so forth. I was a leader, and, and so there was some potential there. But he knew as he looked at my life and what I just loved and where I really came alive, he knew that... When I was singing or when I was performing on stage, I felt the most at home. And so he gave me a great gift. He didn't say, I want you to go do something else so you have something to fall back upon. I want you, he said, to take the gifts that God has given you. And I want you to maximize their potential. And I want you to leave the rest in God's hands. That's powerful stuff. That is a parent who believes that God is going to provide for what God has called. And so my daughter, who has always been very creative, she's a very, very shy person, but she's always been able to express herself visually and creatively, said the same thing to her. Take the gifts that God has given you, maximize them to their potential, and God is going to work out the rest. Because God's a good God. And there's a very good reason that God gave those gifts to my daughter. Now, I do want to show you a painting. You're going to see it on the wall there. It's, it's a tragic painting. It's called The Death of Chatterton. It was painted by a guy called Henry Wallace in 1856. And the subject of this painting is a starving artist, a poet who has actually committed suicide. He has poisoned himself with arsenic. The painting was done in 1856. And Chatterton, uh, the, the person on the bed there, uh, died at the age of 17 of arsenic. And it's a masterful work of the artist as a tortured soul. Chatterton died poor and penniless. He died painfully alone. And if you look at, you can't really see it there, but if in the lower left-hand corner, as you're looking at, there's like a, a stack of torn-up paper. He's a poet, and he's, and he's maybe gotten some inspiration, but then he tore it all up, and he gave up, and he killed himself. The flat where he lives is far from extravagant. It's a hovel. It is the residence of a starving artist. Is this the life that I want for my daughter? Of course not. <laughs> of course not. But I also know that the path artists take actually might be a path of poverty. And in the kingdom of God, that's actually okay. Isn't it? I mean, our Lord walked through this earth and he had no place to lay his head. And so it's okay if God calls you in your giftedness 
to a place where you just have to rely on God over and over again. That's not necessarily the American dream, but it is the way that sometimes God moves in the kingdom, that idea of his people simply trusting in him. The gifts our children receive and the gifts that you've received, I believe they're actually clues for calling. I think that, that's what I want to talk about here just for a second. Is we got to recognize that the gifts you've been given are part of your calling. I did not give my daughter the gift of creativity. God gave her that gift. God gave me the gift of creativity. He gave other people the gift to be accountants. Praise God, I'm not one of them. Because, trust me, you do not want me to manage your books. And praise God, there are people who have been called to be accountants. You know? But praise God, there are also other people who have been called to be artists. Therefore, God is this person who wants to indwell us and incarnate himself in a number of different ways. And part of your gifting and my daughter's gifting and my gifting is all about God guiding us along this journey that he has called us to build up his church. It's interesting, the, I think Jim mentioned it, this idea that the kingdom of God is like yeast. It's very, very small. My daughter's very, very small. She's about that big. Very, very shy. And in her art school, everyone knows she's a believer. Everyone. And she doesn't walk around, and she doesn't proclaim around, and she doesn't just paint crosses. She doesn't just paint folded hands praying. She paints out of her heart. And there is something about an artist giving voice to what God has called them to that raises everything around them. And we need to trust in that. We need to trust that every action that God calls us to is not insignificant. Every action is significant. Now, calling. Let's talk about art just a little bit. Um, the focus of what I want to do here is really mostly about fine art because you need to know that the entertainment industry that you see actually begins in fine art. It all kind of starts there. Actors, writers, dancers, musicians, they all kind of start in the fundamentals of what are fine art, and then they move forward and popular art is created. Pastor and theologian Samuel Wells talks about art this way. He says, art is the intersection of what things are and what things could be. And art scholars speak of art as what happens in the middle of this triangle. You'll see it on the wall there. The triangle is form, media, and idea. Example, the form might be poetry, but the medium might be a song. And the idea might be the tragedy of lost love. Those th that intersection of those three, that's art. Let me give you a visual example. One of my favorite paintings is a painting called Guernica by Pablo Picasso, a work commissioned by the Spanish government for the 1937 World's Fair. The inspiration of the painting came from the massacre, the bombing by German warplanes of a tiny Basque village filled mostly with women and children because the men were off to war. So what's the form here? The form is a, it's a mural. It's a painting. And actually, it's 11 feet by 25 feet on canvas. The medium oil on canvas, the idea it could be many number of things, but we know for sure the tragedy of innocent civilians killed in the crosshairs of war. The painting though, is not only important because of the idea. The painting is important because of the artistry. There's no other painting like that. And there's none. And it's not just the arrangement of brush strokes, and it's not just the arrangement of color. It is the expression of a master who received a gift of creativity and painting by who? By God. Every work of art we need to hear is born from God. Now, what Jim said is very true. We have really two opposing kingdoms on this planet. We have the kingdom of the world and we have the kingdom of God. And I would like to make the argument that those artists who create out of the kingdom of the world are not our enemy. Our enemy is not flesh and blood, right? 
our enemy is powers and authorities, spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realm. And the father of lies rules and reigns over the kingdom of the world. And so artists who are creating out of the kingdom of the world are simply people who have been lied to by the father of lies. Right? And our calling is simply to come and tell the truth to those who have been lied to. And thank God that some of us, God has called to be artists and speak in a very creative well, in a very creative way. I would like to make the argument, I think God actually takes delight in Pablo Picasso's paintings. And I'll tell you why. Now, Picasso was not a Christian, by no means. But let's say that I had a kid that, uh, that was alienated from me at birth. And the father of lies took this kid alongside his, his uh, side into his home and told him all kinds of lies about me and said, Brad, that's not your father. That Brad Kindle, he's not your father. You need to know I'm your father, the father of lies says, and I want you to live your life born out of your residence in me. Now, if I know that that's actually my kid and my kid creates, some, uh, creates a masterpiece wouldn't I, even though my kid doesn't know me, take great delight in what my child has created? I may not like the subject matter. I may be shocked by the subject matter. But I might also have compassion on the subject matter because my child has been lied to. My child is under the realm of a power that I don't want my child to be under. And so maybe I take delight, maybe I have compassion on my son or my daughter who's living in the residency of the father of lies. So what do we do? Christian uh, people, us Christ ones. How do, we, how do we who are in the arts or those of you who would like to appreciate art or those of you who would maybe don't appreciate art but you're thinking, oh, maybe I should. All right, fine. <laughs> how do we engage with arts and entertainment? Well, what I'd like to do is I'd like to speak and hopefully empower uh, with words from the Spirit, the Christian artists here in our midst, as, as um, prophets and priests. Prophets and priests. And then we'll speak to the larger church as well. 1 Peter 2.9, one of my favorite verses, speaks to vocation that God has called all the church to, but it is relevant to us as artists. I'll read it. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. I love this passage because there's a great, it, it's an echo really of what's happening in Exodus 19, where God speaking to the nation of Israel says, you have been chosen. You've, I've called you out to give voice to who I am. And Peter says to the church, you have been chosen. You have been chosen to give voice to who I am, to declare the very goodness of the king of kings. That's part of our vocation. There's a prophetic calling here because a prophet just tells the truth of God. The world believes God is not good. The kingdom of the world has been lied to. They believe God is not good. But those of us in the kingdom of God have a vocation to declare, no, you've been lied to. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You need to know that God is good. God loves you. And I love you too. Even though you think I'm your enemy, I am not your enemy because I don't have any enemies because I'm born out of the love of God. So let's talk about the artist as prophet for a second. The world's cultures, tribes, have always had their prophets, haven't they? Every culture and every tribe. The merit of a prophet is always formed by the prophet's ability to speak the truth to the community. If the prophet doesn't speak the truth, then the prophet is a what prophet? Is a, is a false prophet, right. And in the Bible, you know, we have all these wonderful demonstrations of the prophetic life. And I think it's fascinating, curious, and sometimes just quite honestly strange to see the way the prophets in the scriptures actually performed their prophetic act. You know, God says to Ezekiel, I want you to eat a scroll. Well, that's a bit strange. 
God says to Jeremiah, I want you to take this belt and I want you to, I want you to wear it and then I want you to hide it and I'm going to do different things with the belt and so forth, all to speak the truth of God. The great New Testament prophet, of course, John the Baptist. I mean, this is, guy, this is a guy that you would stare at if he walked in the door. He's wearing camel skin, ate locusts, invites people to immerse themselves in the Jordan River as a demonstration of so many things, repentance, exodus, etc., could we make the argument that these prophetic acts are actually performance art at its best? The artist as prophet is called to speak the truth in sometimes curious, creative, and compelling ways. And one of the best metaphors, I think, for this comes from Hamlet's advice to the players. And just a little bit of background from Hamlet. I'm not going to do a long speech for you. But in Hamlet's advice to the players, these actors, they come to Hamlet's castle. Hamlet is this Danish king. And these, these actors come, and Hamlet says, I want to give you some advice before you go much further, before you, before you perform. And his advice goes like this. He says, suit the action to the word, the word to the action with this special observance, that you overstep not the modesty of nature. For anything so overdone is from the purpose of playing, whose end, both at the first and now, was and is to hold as twere the mirror up to nature, to show virtue for her own feature, scorn for her own image, and the very age and body of the time, his form and pressure. And what I want you to take from that is this image of the artist holding the mirror up to nature and saying, look, what do you see? Mirrors are very important, aren't they? I come before the mirror every morning, and it tells me exactly what is real. <laughs> it says, you have spent a good deal of the night sleeping on one side to the extent that your hair now goes like this. And now you want to rearrange that, that for Bethel Christian Fellowship so they don't think that you don't have a mirror or that you're odd. We need mirrors. We need prophetic voices who will hold the mirror up to nature and say, culture, are you proud of what you see? Culture, isn't there something that maybe you need to pay attention to? Isn't something out of balance? Isn't there something hanging over your eye to the extent that you cannot see clearly any longer? Mirrors show us the way things are. They lead us also, though, to the possibilities of what could be. Because once I see current reality, I then begin to see, oh, if I just do this or I do that, then I can take things, my hair, for example, to a better place. A prophet holds up the mirror to society and says, are you proud of what you see? And sometimes for a prophet to be able to do that, the prophet needs to shock you. This happens in the scriptures all the time. And this is what an artist does. Therefore, if the artist has a prophetic role in the church and in the ministry of the church to the larger culture, then the artist sometimes must create something that is not beautiful. Sometimes the artist might have to create something actually very ugly. And the people who condemn the artist in this role forget that artists are prophets. The artists sometimes need to shock. Again, Sam Wells says, not all offensive actions are prophetic, but some prophetic actions are offensive. I'm sure there were times the nation of Israel, looking at what the prophet was saying, was saying, well, that's highly offensive. Jesus offended over and over and over again. And sometimes that has to be done. Just because it offends doesn't mean it's not art. One of my favorite artists of the 20th century who comes from the kingdom of the world is Jackson Pollock. Now, Pollock's celebrated medium was uh, very strange. He would take these cans of paint and sticks and these big canvases, and he would just dribble stuff all over these canvases and sometimes pour stuff from the can all over the canvases. And we look at that, and we say, well, any third grader could do that. That's not art. Well... Not so fast. For those of us who follow Christ, I would like to make the argument that works like this are incredibly important. 
because what they do is the prophet from the kingdom of the world is holding the mirror up to nature and saying, life is meaningless. Life is random. There is no meaning. There is no creator. There is no bad. There is no good. There is only what is. Life is random and life is messy. His works of art are prophetic works of a tribe of human beings who do not believe God is real. And we can say, well, that's not true. And it's, we don't believe it's true. We're from the kingdom of God. We believe there is meaning and purpose. But praise God, someone was bold enough to say, we have a problem. We don't believe there's a God. And so now we know what the temperature is over here. Now we can come to these people and we say, whoa, 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 whoa. Is it possible that you've been lied to? Now, let me compare the prophet from the kingdom of the world with a prophet from the kingdom of God. An artist named Makoto Fujimura, who wrote, uh, created this next piece, it's called Prodigal God. Uh, Fujimura has become a very important American artist. He's a follower of Christ. He's respected in both the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world because he seeks to tell the truth, and he does so with great clarity and artistry. Noted art critic Robert Kushner writes of him, the idea of forging a new kind of art about hope, about healing, redemption, refuge, maintaining, and all the while maintaining visual sophistication and intellectual integrity is a growing movement, one which finds Makoto Fujimura's work at the vanguard. Makoto Fujimura is forging a new kind of art, not just through his work, but with his life. Hear this, artist. Not with just his work, but his life. An internationally renowned painter, he is also a deeply generous spirit as dedicated to the welfare of his community, his church, his neighborhood. And he is in the purity and integrity of his craft. His art, while largely abstract, is never remote or cold. Rather, it always brushes against the edge of mystery, inviting us in, asking us to trust that there is order behind chaos, that there is grace behind pain. Now, what does Fujimura do so well? As a prophet from the kingdom of God, he speaks the truth with great clarity and artistry, and he's very compelling. And so my argument is we need to encourage the artists among us, those who've been gifted by God, to speak the truth they have come to know in the kingdom of God and do so with great artistry. To, do, to, take, to take the gifts that God has given them and encourage them to say, maximize the, these gifts to their potential and allow God to then give you voice and speak to the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. And in so doing, we have to allow these artists to speak honestly to what's really happening. I would like to say the benchmark for the way an artist should, should speak in the church is the benchmark of the scriptures. And what I mean by that is that the scriptures speak of goodness and love and grace, so there should be works of art that are, speak of goodness and love and grace, but the scriptures also shock. The scriptures also call us to lament. There are points in the scriptures where there is a great deal of pain. And so our artists should be allowed to express that shock and pain and remorse. I mean, God help us if you know, somehow God had made Job tie up that epic poem with a nice, neat, pretty bow. Praise God that Job is as obtuse and mysterious and painful as it is. We need Job in the scriptures. And we need works of art that sometimes express great brokenness and pain and sorrow and even misunderstanding. Let's continue. The artist is priest. What is a priest? A priest is a mediator between the people and God. Again, let me give you, a, uh, let me contrast two artists here. Um, there's a great contemporary of J Jackson Pollock, uh, a composer named John Cage, middle of the 20th century. Now, John Cage is, I would argue, a priest from the kingdom of the world. Cage believed, like Pollock believed, that life was random and had no meaning without purpose. And so he created compositions of music that were random and without purpose. And I actually 
have a piece I'd like to share with you real quick right now. Let's go ahead and play it. This was a composition for radio receivers. You can go ahead and fade out. It's essentially eight minutes of that. <laughs> eight minutes of that. Great dinner music. Next time you're on a date with your spouse, be sure to put John Cage uh, imaginary landscape on the, on the turntable or whatever you have. Now, we hear something like that, and we say, whoa, 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 time out, time out. That's not music. All right, maybe it's not going to be on your iPod or latest playlist. But is it art? I think we could say it's very important art. I think it's something that we might want to pay attention to. Because again, we have a priest from the kingdom of the world who is saying, life is random, there is no meaning, there is no purpose. And we in the kingdom of God get to see that. In the same way when a missionary goes to another country, they have to look at what's going on, what's the barometer of what these people believe. We have a great gift, actually, in a man like John Cage, where we can come and we can participate and we can say, okay, now I kind of understand from where you're coming. Now, may I tell you my story? Let me give you uh, a kingdom of God example of a, of a work. This is, um, uh, actually, let's, let's bypass the George Herbert piece and we'll go to the next one. Yeah, there we go. Um, this is a humongous and beautiful stained glass work by the artist Mark Chagall. The piece is called Peace Window. And Chagall's inspiration of the work came from the scriptures, uh, Isaiah chapter 9. And what I'd like you to do is as you spend just a few moments with it, you don't get to see it too well there, it's humongous, um, I'd actually like you to hear Isaiah 9 from which it is taken. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as soldiers rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That work is in the United Nations. Now, I don't know what your thoughts are on the United Nations, but I would like to say, praise God, there is a work of art in the United Nations that was born out of God's word, Isaiah chapter 9. Praise God. And one of the beautiful things here is it illustrates kind of the role of the artist as a priest. Because we, the observer, get to come to this work and we get to look through it. And we're taken from kind of the natural thinking that we live in. And the, the artist is hoping to take us beyond the natural into the supernatural. So kind of what Jim said earlier suddenly we begin to see, oh, maybe the distance between what is what is what we call um, natural and what is uh, supernatural is very, very thin. Maybe the kingdom of God is present here in a way I'm not fully recognizing. Maybe God's actually up to something even at the UN. <laughs> All right. Now let me close with this large place. 
the artists in God's kingdom. You may be listening to all this, and you may be thinking, well, time out. I am an accountant. <laughs> or uh, I'm not a, a dancer, and I'm not a painter, I'm not a poet, I'm not a musician. Is any of this for me? And I, I would like to make the argument that all of us are somehow part of God's masterpiece. And this is very, very important. If we are going to wrestle with what it means to have influence on arts and entertainment. Because it's not just on the artist in the kingdom of God to have an influence on art and entertainment. It is up to the church, the whole body of Christ. We are all part of God's masterpiece. Quick story. When I, my first year of graduate school, I had gone through my undergrad, and now I'm at graduate school, and, and now I'm going to study to be a, a uh, classical actor. I walk into my first year, and I have to admit, I'm embarrassed to say that I, um, I hated Shakespeare. The greatest Western playwright of all time, I hated Shakespeare. And maybe you're like me. You'd, you'd grown up, and you'd see just bad performance after bad performance, and you're sitting in, your, in a high school English class, and someone forced you to read Romeo and Juliet. And as you're reading it, you're thinking, oh my goodness, I don't understand any of this. And then maybe, thank God, they put on that Leonardo DiCaprio thing and you, you, you somehow got a, uh, some access to it. But you're still thinking, I don't like Shakespeare. And I was in that boat. I thought it was boring. I didn't think it was relevant to me at all. Why would anyone like this? And we need to know that people outside of the church look at God, and they look at the church the same way. This is a big book. It's very, very hard to understand. And that church, I don't get it. All that singing, and the guy's dancing around. There's all this clapping. Then the guy gets up, and he just talks at me for like 30 minutes. So I probably got another 50 minutes left in me. Um, I, I, I don't get that. So what's our role? Well, again, back to my illustration. So the very first year of my graduate school life, the, the conservatory where, where I was at got a new dean. The dean's name was Tony Church. And Tony was this over-70s British guy who had spent the last 40 years of his life taking a very large text and pouring his whole life into this text to then take that text, Shakespeare, and bring it to life. And so, the very first month, he called all the faculty together and all the students, and that evening we participated in his one-person show of his life performing Shakespeare. And so he told stories, but mostly what he did was he talked about how Shakespeare's text is put together, and then he performed some of the greatest speeches from Shakespeare's canon. And I'll never forget this. That night... I went, if that's what Shakespeare is all about, I want to love Shakespeare too. Suddenly I saw the text come to life in a way where I could understand. And suddenly I wanted to participate in it as well. Now we have this phrase at the gallery where we say, we are a community of players staging scenes from the kingdom of God for a watching world. A community of players staging scenes from the kingdom of God for a watching world. Our task? To devote our lives to this text. To the extent that it becomes part of our very being. And then we bring it to life on an everyday basis. So that when people look at Bethel Christian Fellowship, they look at the gallery. The church is in St. Paul, Minneapolis. Those are part of Mission St. Paul. They see what we're a part of, and they say, well, if that's what the kingdom of God is, I mean, I've been lied to. <laughs> if that's what it's all about, if that's who Jesus is, well, then I want to be a part of that too. And my point is, we are all part of this masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10, our theme verse at the gallery, it's not reserved for us, it's for all of us. I love the way the New Living Translation puts it. For we are God's masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus to do the good works he planned for us long ago. 
God, through the power of the Spirit, the Son, has recreated us so that we get to participate and take this text and bring it to life so people get an understanding of the very goodness of God. So people who have been lied to most of their lives suddenly might be able to actually access the truth. And we do it in creative and compelling ways. We have to give our lives to it. We have to tell it honestly. Yeah? All right. I think there might be some people here. I got this word last night, and uh, someone confirmed it for me this morning, that there might be actually artists among us who need a word from God, who need the Holy Spirit to remind you I gave you these gifts for a reason. I gave you these gifts for a reason, and I want you to give voice to them. And so what I'd like to, I'd like to pray, I'd like to intercede in a couple different ways. And if I could, I'd like to ask any person here who has any creative gifts to come on down, and I'd like the rest of the body to pray for them. We have any musician, any dancer, any sculptor, any writer, seamstress, Let's just come down here to the altar. I'll get up here. You can get on your knees. I'd like the rest of you to stand, and I'd like you to just put your hand out toward your brothers and sisters here. Man, Olson, this is one creative bunch you got. Praise God. Most of the rest are creative, too. They're just shy. All right. Let's, as a church, lift these people up and put your hand out. I'm going to, I'll voice the prayer, and then we're going to move to just one more step here. Let's pray. Holy God, we give you great praise for each of these people made in your image. You are the great author. You are the great artist. Each of these people made in your image and given gifts from you to speak of your goodness. God, we pray that the power of your spirit would come upon these people in the way the spirit came upon Bezalel to craft the ark, the tent of meeting. We pray, God, that your spirit would come upon these people and they would speak boldly. That they would not be shy about the gifts that they have been given. That they would not be embarrassed. And I pray, God, for a heart of surrender for all of them that they would trust that you've been given, they've been given these gifts by you for a reason. I pray you would give them a path to help maximize the power of these gifts. And then, Lord, give them voice. Give them voice in their schools. Give them voice in their neighborhoods. Give them voice in their church, Lord, wherever they are, whatever body they are a part of for the rest of their lives, Lord. Give them a voice to speak boldly. Because you've wired them this way, God. No one else has. And there is a reason you have put these gifts upon their heart. Come, Holy Spirit. Now, church, I'm going to ask you, if you would, just to hang with me for a second. And imagine, in the theater, we have something called theater in the round. Okay? In the theater in the round, the stage is surrounded on all sides by the audience. And in the theater in the round, the audience often looks in from balconies. And we know in the scriptures, there is this great image of a great cloud of witnesses looking upon you, encouraging you, church, God's masterpiece. But I want you to hear this as well. Very important. There is a world. Imagine them just outside these windows. Your friends, your family members who don't know Christ, standing at these windows, looking at the performance of the gospel of Bethel Christian Fellowship. Bethel Christian Fellowship gathered, but also Bethel Christian, Bethel Christian Fellowship scattered. The world is always looking to see, are you taking that text, and are you taking it seriously? And are you bold enough to perform it boldly, with great honesty, Come, Holy Spirit. Lord God, I pray for this church, and I pray for the church at large, Lord. Lord, we are a demonstration of the gospel. You have called us, God, to take your word and bring it to life. You have placed this word upon our hearts, God, and I pray, Lord, 
that the great cloud of witnesses would be proud of the way we bring to life the gospel. But God, we also pray that those outside of your kingdom would see the way we are passionately, lovingly, gracefully bringing your word to life, Lord, that you would use us, the church, your masterpiece, to declare your goodness so others too might see what's happening and say, if that's what the kingdom of God is like, I too want to be a part of that kingdom. Holy God, we love you. And we move forward from this place, trusting in your power and your calling. Thank you, God, for the recreation that you have made in us, in Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Actually, stay right there. You may stay And everybody seated. else, hit the walls. Let's circle. Let's do it. As we close, we're going to circle around the building right now. Just move. Circle around. Just hold your hands open before the Lord as we do the benediction here. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word brought to us this morning so profoundly. We receive your word today in our lives, oh God. And Lord, as we stand before you as priests, Lord, as we have received your word, we ask that you would help us to deliver that word, Lord Jesus, into every place where you bring us, every place our footsteps, Lord God take us. So may we be filled afresh now with that immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of His favor and goodness over your life until we gather again either in this house or in our eternal home. I bless you, people of God at Bethel Christian Fellowship. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Share God's love with one another before you go.